Well, we're going to start 2023 with a little mini-series of messages that I'm calling Words for a New Year. And as your pastor, I've spent time praying for you and for our church as we head into this new season of life and growth and ministry. And as is my habit, I've been asking God if he has any encouragements, any invitations for us as we launch into a new year. And what I've sensed from the Spirit these last several weeks are these three words, rest, re-engage, and reconcile. Rest, re-engage, and reconcile. Well, the grammar nerd in me wants to ask, what type of words are these? And in sequence, we can tell that they are verbs, they're actions. But more specifically, they are second person, present, active imperatives. And yes, I used to teach language. So I love grammar. Second person, that's not I or we, he, she, or they. That is you. And I love English's ambiguity because that's both you individually and you corporately. It's you and y'all rest, re-engage, and reconcile. The next part of that is these are present tense. These are words for now, not for yesterday, not for a month from now, but now. Also, these are, these are active words. These are something you will participate in, not something that is done to you. And finally, they're imperatives. They're marching orders. They're commands, their instructions to be carried out, rest, re-engage, reconcile. Three new directives for a new year. And we're going to spend this Sunday just unpacking that first word, rest. So what does it mean to rest? Is resting simply ceasing from work and activity? Is God merely asking you in 2023 to do less? Well, to get insight into a biblical understanding of rest, we have to begin in Genesis. And you see, in the ancient world, rest was front and center in most creation stories. Indeed, often in the pagan myths, the explicit reason that the gods create humanity is a desire for rest. Now, the deities rest, mind you, not humanity's rest. Men and women, according to those ancient myths, were brought into being to do the work that the gods and the goddesses were getting tired of doing. Humans were built to serve It was, you cultivate the land, you make my food, you tidy up the place, you keep the forces of chaos at bay, while I recline here in the clouds, receiving your labor, your worship, your undying loyalty, or else. That's rest in the pagan myths. But this is not the sort of rest we see in Scripture, Instead, in Scripture, in the Genesis account, it looks entirely different. 
After God has created all there is from nothing and he's finished setting up and inaugurating his good and beautiful and orderly universe, this is what we read in Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So does God just kind of retreat to the highest heavens and take a vacation from all his work? No, he settles down to rest within the cosmic temple, you might say, that he's just made. He dwells in the garden of his creation and he makes himself available and accessible to humanity in the paradise of Eden. And as we seek to understand this biblical concept of rest, I'm really grateful for the work of a guy named John Walton, who's an evangelical biblical scholar who's done a lot of work in Genesis. And he writes this, God is described as resting on the seventh day. The narrator clearly implies that mankind made in the divine image is expected to copy his creator. Indeed, the context implies that a weekly day of rest is as necessary for human survival as sex or food. Yet our necessity for rest lies in something more than just needing regular breaks from our work. From the very beginning, rest for humanity is located in two profound truths. The first is God's availability and accessibility to us in relationship. And the second is that There's this good and beautiful and life-giving order that God has established. We can rest because God dwells among us and because there's security and there's stability found within that kind of equilibrium of his good rule. We can rest Because God is here, because God is sovereign, because God is working to bring about life and beauty and justice and peace. So I contend this year that God is calling us to rest. But not just to do less, to rest in relationship with him, to rest under his leadership And rule. So let's make it explicit. What do we rest in? We rest in God. We rest in His love. We rest in His provision. We rest in His working. And if we if we do this, if we take this as our directive and we rest in His love, His provision, His working, what will be the result in our lives? I think there's three things. We'll experience what scripture calls God's shalom. We'll experience God's wholeness and well-being, what he intends for us. 
we'll also cultivate in ourselves, in our families, in our church, a non-anxious presence. The anxiety will be ramped down. And what we'll do is we'll bolster our connection with the living God who loves us. Those are the results of rest. We experience God's wholeness and peace. We we manifest a non-anxious presence in the world and we bolster our connection. We abide, we cling close to God. Well, this sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want to rest? But then most of us don't navigate life from a place of rest, do we? So it forces us to ask, what causes us to choose to not rest? Well, there's two reasons. One, we have unruly ambitions. Choosing to believe a lie, we embrace what some scholars call an idolatrous independency. We choose not to rest because we believe the lie of idolatrous independency. It's a fancy turn of phrase, so allow me to define that. The lie is this, that I can find comfort and satisfaction and well-being apart from God, and I'd rather do that than depend on him. This is both foolish and it's impossible It's a lie because it refuses to acknowledge our limitations, the limitations of our power to improve ourselves, our families, our situation, our world. It also refuses to acknowledge and it recoils from this notion of our fallenness, our need for redemption, our need for God. As one writer has put it, we've come to love our freedom from God with a passion that we give to few other things. So we choose not to rest. We are always grinding. Regardless of the short-term or the long-term consequences, we'd rather champion our autonomy than rest under God's good and wise leadership. So what do we do? We rebel. We rebel against God. We rebel against rest. We rebel against any sort of life-giving limits. We rebel against any sort of relationship or responsibility that would impinge upon us. We seek to be a law unto ourselves. We seek to be our own sovereign, and we've cut ourselves off from rest We've abandoned that security and that stability that comes living within God's good order under his leadership. And we've given ourselves over to our unruly ambitions. And those ambitions have come to rule us. This is the wisdom of scripture that we hear in Psalm 127. And here are the first two verses of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, 
eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, the Lord, gives to his beloved sleep. That always grinding mentality, that always working nose to the grindstone mindset is no recipe for success. Because we can't find comfort, satisfaction, security, well-being apart from God. But boy, do we try. We feast on that bread of anxious toil. We sacrifice sleep. We sacrifice help, health, family time, neighborliness, character formation, our relationship with God, all in pursuit of unruly ambitions. But even then, we can't grasp the results we desire. And when we throw up our hands and we grope for rest, we're exhausted, we've come to the end of ourselves, we can't actually even find it because rest is a gift from God. He gives to his beloved sleep, it says. True rest comes from God, from trusting in his love, his provision, His working. So one of the reasons we do not rest is we have these unruly ambitions and we believe the lie that we can get what we want apart from God and a relationship of dependence on him. But the other reason we choose to not rest is we have these infant-like anxieties We struggle to trust God's care, and so we root and we squall. And here, Psalm 131, I think, gives us really good insight. And I'm going to read you the entire psalm in full, because it's all of three verses. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the psalmist, he's recognizing in his own heart those unruly ambitions. He's recognizing that rebellion that wants to put him as the center of his own life, as the master of his own destiny. And he's, he's laying that aside. He's coming to God in search of peace and confidence and that inner stillness. And so he comes into God's presence and he calms and quiets his soul like a weaned child, it says, with its mother. I've taught this psalm in the past, in a season of, earlier season of ministry, when I was younger and dumber. And I had this strong desire to not explain the special bond between a mother and a child that she's nursed to a congregation that was 50% female. And so I, uh, in my great wisdom, I invited my wife to the stage and I interviewed her about her own breastfeeding journey. 
in front of the congregation. Like I said, I was younger and dumber. And she was a great sport, and she shared with us all sorts of wonderful insights that helped unlock the text. But I got a talking to afterwards, you know, because while, yes, it was a congregation of 50% women, it was also a congregation of 50% men, and she would prefer not to talk about those sorts of intimate things in front of the congregation. So uh, I did not ask her to share today. Uh, and which might be why she's working a 12-hour shift today and not here, though. She didn't want to risk it. But when I remember sitting down and interviewing her about that bond, she had said something to me that she said she was always blessed to be able to breastfeed our three kids, knowing that it was an opportunity not available to all mothers, knowing that it It created this beautiful bond. She cherished the intimacy of the experience, the bond that was forged. And if you ever have read the effects of what happens to both mother and child during that experience on kind of a biochemical level with all the different neurotransmitters, it's a real fascinating thing. But Brianna, she loved being our kid's source of nourishment, She's also pretty cheap, so she loved not having to pay for formula. But more than anything, she delighted in this self-giving nature of breastfeeding. Her ability to share her strength with our kids in the form of her own bodies, antibodies and immunities that were passing directly through her to them through that process of feeding And this whole metaphor that the the psalm picks up on, I think it communicates something profound about God's care and compassion for us. Like a mother, God loves us and invests in our future. He also imparts his strength and protection to us through an amazing self-giving gift, through the gift of his son, And I sense in the Lord that parental desire that everyone who he's brought into the world would have a special bond, an intimate, loving relationship with their creator. There's something life-giving to both parties when we're brought together in loving relationship with our divine parent. And like the wave of kind of neurotransmitters that washes over a nursing infant, we're invited to find peace in our acceptance by and our dependence upon our loving divine parent. God's loving embrace nourishes us and communicates to us a sense of safety and belonging that's so strong that it communicates and establishes a deep equilibrium, a deep peace at the very center of our being. It leads us into rest. But the psalm's not actually talking about a a breastfeeding child. It's talking about a recently weaned child. And there's this interesting thing. I remember chatting with B about this. And I asked her, what changed in your relationship with our kids 
after you stopped being their source of, of nourishment? And what she answered totally surprised me. She said, not much. It did little to alter her relationship with our kids. And I assumed coming to this topic as a man that there would be this, that first step of independence would create this ever-widening distance and gulf between parent and child. But she assured me that it did not. She said the connection of trust and intimacy and care had already been established. And it didn't dissolve when our kids weaned, when they started eating solid foods. And I guess it makes sense because a weaned child is still a child. You don't just take off the water wings and chuck them into the far side of the pool. They don't go from milk to steak. No, a loving parent comes in and is there for the transition. There's small steps because a parent knows what their kid can handle. The kid doesn't have to figure it out all on his own. Because the parent has not left them. God is always compassionate and there to guide us. And I remember Brianna mentioning to me that she and our kids discovered new ways to connect in that new season. For our littlest Amira, it was playing hide and seek and dancing and reading books with mom that became those special times of intimacy. And Amira learned, she discovered how to rest in Brianna's presence without the instant gratification of being fed. Even if Brianna denied her the particular comfort that she desired, Brianna's love was never in doubt. And my daughter was safe and secure as our child. So this might feel like a very long detour, but it helps answer our question, why do we choose to not rest? Well, because we have these infantile anxieties. Oh no, God's not giving me exactly what I want when I want it Does that mean he doesn't care? Does it mean he doesn't see? Is he not strong enough to provide? Have I displeased him? Does he no longer love me or embrace me as his own? No, God is weaning us. He's training us to rely on him in new ways. But sometimes we choose not to rest because all we sense is distance and betrayal We're fearful and forgetful, and so we fuss, we frantically root about, we we worry, we cry out to God, we accuse him of, of heartlessness, of abandoning us. And I recognize this restlessness in us. So often these last few years, we've been anxious And instead of choosing to rest in God, we've demanded that God and others validate and share our anxieties. We've demanded that God and others act immediately to bring us comfort in the ways that we expect and desire. And if not, we'll throw a fit, we'll revert to that kind of idolatrous independency 
unwilling or unable to trust, we set about and we're going to construct our own strongholds. We're going to seek our own security and comfort and well-being in a manner of our timing and choosing in our way. You see, anxiety and that independency, they live in a codependent relationship. And both are rooted in a disconnection from our Heavenly Father. Both are rooted in our refusal to rest in God's love, in His provision, and in His care, in His working. So instead... The psalmist invites us to call, he calls us to calm and quiet our souls. He says, rest in God's presence. Find peace because your divine parent accepts you. Jesus made sure of that. Despite our rebellion and our sin, he died for us to wash us clean, to make us new, to restore us back to God. The psalmist says, find peace as well in your dependence on your heavenly father. Because it is no shame to be a child of the living God. Do you remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8? He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In 2023, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul writes, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In light of all this, rest. Rest in humble confidence. Calm and quiet your soul. Trust in God, your creator, Christ, your savior, and the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who dwells and works in those of us who believe. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom Shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I've recently heard it said that we can only be non-anxious presences with God's presence. It's not something we manufacture on our own. It's something that God gives us freely. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This year, I think God is calling us to rest. And he's not simply saying, do less, but he might be. I think he's inviting us to prune away those unruly ambitions, 
that drive us at a pace that cause us to spend our effort and our energy and our bandwidth chasing after things that he might not be calling us to. He's saying reject the lie that you can find security or comfort or well-being apart from me. He wants us to realize not that we're going to have a lazy 2023, but that the year does not hinge on your activity. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And yes, we may have work to do this next year individually and collectively together, but our hope for the future does not depend on our own effort but it depends ultimately on God and his power alone. God says, don't be anxious. Don't race on that rat wheel of your own ambitions. Remember who I am and how much I love you. Calm and quiet your soul in my presence like a weaned child. Don't fuss. Don't cry out. Your heavenly father is here and he cares for you. Are not five sparrows sold for a penny? Jesus says. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. For you are of more value than many sparrows. Our imperative in 2023 is this. Rest, rest in God, rest in his love, in his provision, and in his working. Remember that from the very beginning of time, rest is rooted in the fact that God is available and accessible to us, and that there is great peace and stability and security when we live life within his good order, when we live life under his rule, under his leadership, submitted to and trusting and depending upon him. Amen? Amen. Well, before we pray, I want to read to you a quote. I started this year off reading a little book called Sit, Walk, Stand by the Chinese church leader Watchman Nee. Uh, He's since passed away, but I stumbled upon this quote that spoke so perfectly to what we were wrestling with this morning, and I want to leave you with this as a final thought as we think about rest. Christianity does not begin with walking, it begins with sitting. For Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. The Christian life from start to finish is based upon this principle of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no limit to the grace God is willing to bestow on us. He will give us everything, but we can receive none of it except as we rest in him. First and foremost, our assignment this year is to rest in him, to receive his care, to receive his salvation, to rest in him. Dear God, Lord, as we make resolutions, 
as we hope for real change, we take a moment to to realize where our hope lies, where our hope for change lies, where our hope for the future lies, and it lies not in our effort, our abilities, our willpower. And that does not mean you do not ask us to work, Lord, at things. But we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but you've already secured it, Lord. It's a gift. We are your kids, and you have lavished us with your love. And I pray this year that there would be no anxiety at the core of our being. That there would be no unruly ambitions, that we would be content and satisfied and comfortable resting in you. The one who is the lover of our souls. The one who can do incredibly more than we can even ask or imagine the one who will use us to be a blessing, to be a living embodiment of Christ to other people who need to experience your love and your care and your welcome. So year we start this, or God, we start this year with a breath and we commit to rest in you and to receive your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.